Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Well, good morning, America. This is Gun Owners News Hour. This has been a week. The mask is off. The gloves have come off. You see, your president, and like it or not, he is currently sitting in the office. Um, he has, uh, I mean, he, he's never been out there to be ambiguous. I mean, I've sort of already always known this about the, him. You, you probably have too. But he has issued an executive order on gun control that could accurately be described as a mile wide. And only an inch deep. Now, media and gun control groups that beforehand had been salivating over the idea that the measure would impose universal background checks for firearm transfers had to content themselves with a vague directive for Attorney General Merrick Garland to develop a plan to move in that direction. Which he can't actually do. You know, you, 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 you can't make that law as president. But, you know, the, the other more revealing thing about this, besides the word salad that spewed from his, from his face, is um, it is now the official policy of this current U.S. governmental exec, executive branch of antag- antagonism towards you if you own a gun. If you own a gun, it doesn't matter what else you are. If you own a gun, it doesn't matter if you are if you've raised your family. It doesn't matter if you're a good good captain of business. It doesn't matter if you're a humanitarian, a good Samaritan. It doesn't matter because the chief executive doesn't like you. Now, the good news for you is that, as a gun owner, is that after multiple rounds of anti-gun executive orders in the Obama-Biden and the Biden-Harris administrations, there isn't a lot that can plausibly be done administratively on that front that hasn't already been done. Therefore, nothing in this latest order itself immediately or operationally limits Second Amendment rights. I find it interesting how Biden is, uh, I mean, it's almost like he simps to Kamala Harris by calling it the Biden-Harris administration. It's not the Biden-Harris administration. (laughs) This is the Biden administration, okay? Kamala Harris being his vice president is a coincidental. He was out there under, he had to pick a woman of color. And he picked her, which... She has no idea what she's doing. But, but I digress. Back to his executive order. 
it it even acknowledges that it will take further action from Congress to achieve the big-ticket items on Biden's gun control uh, wish list, including banning all private firearm transfers as well as so-called assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. On the other hand, what has been done has often ignored the limitations imposed by federal statutes and the Constitution itself, and what will actually come from his instructions to the bureaucracy in his latest order is therefore anybody's guess. Complicating the picture was the enactment last summer of the misnamed Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. This, this was heavily opposed by many people because of its vague language, which uh, gave anti-gun officials nebulous authorities that could be abused to target law-abiding gun owners and firearm-related businesses, but then at the same time, when you look at what they, you know, incentivizing red flag orders and enhanced background checks for 18 to 20-year-olds. Now, understand this. <laughs> First of all, an 18 to 20-year-old will eventually become a 21-year-old. God willing, you know. And at that point, then what's next at that point? Now we're going to make it to 25. We're going to make it to 30, 35. Where, where are we going to go? So, you know, this is the gun grabbers have, while it seems like they are always using the same bag of tricks, they actually have an unlimited bag of tricks if they want to try it. But legislatively, they're going nowhere. And judicially, that's already been, that's already been decided. The, the instructions have been supplied by the Bruin decision. So they can, they can, throw, they can throw all kinds of feces against the wall in, with executive orders, and that's exactly what it is. It's just going to hit and slide. So Biden is basically directing an alphabet soup of federal departments, including the Justice, Health and Human Services, Education, and Homeland Security, to comb through the BSCA and come up with their own plans to implement it to their fullest extent possible. Now, one of the most onerous aspects of the BSCA was its lowering of the threshold for when a federal dealer's uh, license is needed to sell or transfer firearms. And previously, an individual only needed an FFL when engaged in a course of trade or business involving repetitive buying and reselling of firearms with the principal objective of livelihood and profit. So the BSCA removed the livelihood element so that profit-seeking alone would fulfill the objective, uh, the required objective of the sales. But this broadened the FFL requirement, but it's far from clear what that means in a practical sense, and fortunately, a course of repetitive buying and reselling of firearms is still necessary. No one seems to know where the lines are now drawn. Even national gun control groups haven't come to a shared understanding Brady Giffords advocates for a numerical threshold of annual sales, an approach the Obama-Biden ATF specifically rejected, under the livelihood and profit language. Meanwhile, every town argues that any firearm sale at a gun show or pursuant to an ad is presumptive proof that the threshold has been met. But this was the standard contained in the Manchin-Toomey legislation that Congress itself rejected during the Obama-Biden administration. Thus, what Garland's background plan will look like and how it will be implemented remains a mystery because they haven't come up with that yet. Once again, they have, you know, they've jumped the shark. And most of the other directives in the order boil down to a general principle that federal agencies should use whatever authorities they have to make life more difficult for you, the gun owner, or the businesses that serve you. 
his introductory statement that we will no longer allow the interest of the gun manufacturers to win out over the safety of our children and nation. He's not blaming the criminal. He's blaming the most regulated, well-run industry in the United States today. He's blaming the gun industry. And he's blaming them for firearm-related violence, not the criminals that are actually doing it. And as long as he continues to labor under that delusion, there will be no progress in reducing violent crime. And it also coincidentally tends to be concentrated in areas under legacy control of Biden's political party. So right now, we're sort of captive to what's going on in the big cities, or rather, what's not going on in the big cities. And, you know, when you got a city like Chicago, for example, where they get out there and they break tradition and unseat a sitting mayor, a one-termer, because of the spike in crime, which has spiked 40% under her under her uh, line of sight there, um, you begin to realize that everything works its way around back upon itself, doesn't it? So, um, yes, the president is against you. He is against you. There's no ambiguity. There's nothing opaque. There's nothing vague about this. He is against you. He's against you for owning a gun. And it doesn't matter if you own a scary black rifle or just a, you know, a Glock 26. He's against you. He doesn't approve of you. You're the problem. Your friendly neighborhood gun dealer, they're the problem. Your legal law-abiding activities are a problem and the cause of all gun-related violence. And I, I think we owe him a vote of thanks to, for really making sure that we all understand this. Of course, he doesn't get to do too much with it. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Now, I'm sure that Joe Biden, if he remembers what he did on Tuesday, he's walking around right now pretty proud of himself. <laughs> uh, he's signed an executive order that he's convinced is going to make some kind of meaningful difference, although he's not really convinced of that. 
Actually, he knows better, I think. If he remembers who he is. Anyway. Anyway. Um, his One of the things his executive order does is it cracks down on supposed unlicensed gun dealers, which heretofore I thought we called gun traffickers. But it should be noted it doesn't define it such in any meaningful way and tries to name and shame licensed dealers who supposedly aren't following the law, which makes no sense because they operate in the most heavily regulated business line that there is. If you run afoul of the regulations and the rules, you're not licensed anymore. Well, as you might expect, the gun dealers who go way out there on the limb to try to do the right thing, they have had a response, <laughs> a, a rebuttal to, to the president. Like the staff at uh, in Tennessee, staff at Gray City Guns and Pawn are continuing with business as usual one day after President Joe Biden announced the executive order. Uh, manager Kelly White told News Channel 11, it's just a lot of talk. Now, Background checks are a failure. So increasing background checks just means you're doing more of the same that doesn't work. Most of your rampage, rampage killing, the real rampage killing, not the mass killing that they try to conflate because two or three gangs get together over some over a drug war and shoot themselves up. I'm talking about the rampage killer that goes into Uvalde, Texas schools or Marjorie Stoneman Douglas or or, or Aurora or the D.C. Naval Yards, or Virginia Tech, those rampage killers, those guys pass background checks because there's a mental health component involved in this. They come to a moment where they've been leading up to this moment, and then it's either a very slow, gradual sort of slow roll, or it might be all of a sudden. But they pass background checks. Okay, So background checks don't work. They don't stop the regular career criminal from getting a gun because of the black market. And the black market is unregulated, hence black market. Now, gun vendors like pawn shops and weapon stores are already required to run background checks. But Biden has directed the attorney general to crack down on gun sellers who opt out of the required checks. Who There's nobody with an FFL that opts out of it. <laughs> These You don't just get an FFL and start selling guns. And nobody comes in and checks on you. I mean, the FFL comes in, or excuse me, not the FFL, the ATF comes in and does a compliance check on your on, on, on your all your paperwork. Now, Kelly White says she, that she isn't worried about coming under scrutiny. She said, we already performed background checks, so on, on every individual that comes through here. When a customer comes in my store, I find out why he's wanting a gun, what he's going to do with it, he's going to have access to it. I eliminate the possibilities of this gun being in the wrong hands or falling into the wrong hands, which is way beyond what her her job calls for. Because if I walk into a, a gun shop and I pass the background check, if, if somebody gets out there and goes, what do you want it for? What are you going to do with it? Well, I, I'm walking out. Sell it to somebody else. I'm not some gun store simp. And for what it's worth, her questions may play well with the public and allow her to say that she's doing all she can to keep from them from falling into the wrong hands. But 
anybody that's willing to hurt others isn't above lying to somebody about asking these questions. I mean, you know, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I want to go in there and I want to buy a gun to shoot up, uh, something. What do you want it for? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to do sporting clays, but she's free to ask whatever she wants before selling a gun. That's fine. If she's actually doing it now, it's also worth noting that most dealers are not going to be impacted by this executive order at all. They might find that paperwork errors land them on a public list, but it's not like people are going to consult that list before buying a gun in the first place. And further, that listing might be might just show how pathetic all of this is. If we can see that revocations are taking place because of paperwork errors, for example, this stunt is likely to backfire on the Biden administration. Because it seems that few are really impressed with the efforts here. Why should they be? Because none of this is going to accomplish anything. And gun dealers especially have very little reason to worry. Yeah, they're looking. But I mean, gun dealers, you're not, most of your gun dealers are not idiots. They, they know how to, to comply with the regulations. Um, the people who do, do have calls for concern, though, are, are folks who might be looking to liquidate their collections. Unless they want to sell it all to a gun store, which means they're getting like 40% of what it's worth. They could be accused of dealing without a license and end up on the wrong end of the stick with this executive order. But it's not like Biden and his push for gun safety and gun control actually cares about justice anyway. One of the things I get told is that guns are not a big issue and um, it, they, they, they are the biggest issue. They are the biggest issue because guns... The fact that we have guns, the fact that we have the Second Amendment, uh, we have that veto should it come down to it, if we ever wish to exercise it. Now, with this executive order, it would be nice to think that the president thinks this would actually uh, be a good response to, to growing violent crime, except where the crime that is growing that is driving the these statistics up it's all happening in democrat controlled cities he claimed in california that his order will accelerate and intensify this work to save lives more quickly and of course called for another federal assault weapons ban which uh state senior senator senator diane feinstein who's now 167 years old authored in 1994 and he then called for republicans to pass his budget instead of allegedly seeking to abolish the fbi But then on the 5 this past Wednesday after the executive order, co-host uh, Greg Gutfield cited the statistically inordinate, inordinate amount of violent crime in liberal precincts like Chicago, which doesn't have a single Republican on the city council but has one of the highest violent crime rates in the country. And he said there's a country within a country that has insane gun crime, a specific country within a country but it's Biden's people. These are the leftist mayors and leftist cities that are having rampant gun crime. And you can say, oh, but it's a red state, but it doesn't matter. It's in these cities. So it's a country within a country. And he also added, responding to critics that may point to high crime cities like Philadelphia, New Orleans, and Atlanta, laying within swing of Republican majority states. And he isn't wrong. What's happening now, all of these stats and everything, all due to the same places where it was already hard to exist.
We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Uh, right now, as I sit here talking to you, half of the country is uh, permitless carry. They allow permitless carry. Or as they would say, constitutional carry. Whichever whichever phrase you want to use. Um, and that means when the next state goes, and there's three or four in play right now, when the next state goes, then the majority of America will be permitless carry. And still, still, the anti-gunners think that with half the country already this way, that they can roll in and spread a bunch of minutiae when it comes to the fact of what permitless carry actually does and doesn't do. Like Florida. Florida right now, there's a lot of bloody, bloody froth coming out of the mouths of the gun grabbers as Florida gets ready to fall the way of permitless carry. And when Florida falls, I kind of think South Carolina may go, uh, Nebraska may go before any of them, and North Carolina's in the game. And if all, if all four of these fail, if all four of these go permitless carry, then we're now almost at three-fifths of the nation is permitless carry. Which, permitless carry, that, that's a big thorn in the side of all gun control. Do you understand that, right? That's why it's so good to have it. Now, Debbie Muscarell Powell, there's a dash in between those two. Debbie Muscarell Dash Powell lost her seat in Congress in 2020 when voters in her South Florida district ousted her in favor of Republican Carlos Jimenez. But she, she quickly found a new gig as a senior advisor at the gun control group Giffords. It's amazing how failed politicians always want to be gun grabbers in a lot of cases. As a Floridian and someone who works on a gun control issue, her, you know, Muscarell Dash Powell should be well aware of what Florida's proposed permitless carrier legislation does and does not do. But on Thursday, the former congresswoman woman was spouting outright lies about the legislation's effect on Twitter. On Twitter, she goes, between 2021 and 2022, over 7,600 Florida residents had a disqualifying history and were denied permits to carry a concealed weapon. Today, they're celebrating as the Florida legislature legislature tries to strip away those important provisions. Can you spot the difference? And then there's a little ad. Man number one completed a pistol shooting training course, passed a background check, and holds a license. Man number two has never fired a gun in his life. He bought his pistol at a bar last week without a background check. He was convicted of a violent felony last year. If Governor DeSantis gets his way, there will be nothing to stop the man on the right from carrying a loaded hidden gun. No questions asked. That's not actually what permitless carry does. (laughs) That's not what it actually does. And um, um, permitless carry. What permitless carry says, and anywhere where it's practiced, if you go into a gun shop and you pass the background check that all gun shops give, the FFL, the NICS background check, if you pass that, 
you now can carry that gun. Don't need permission from the, within the state. Within the confines of the state, you can carry that gun without a permit. Now, if you want to cross state barriers, you know, borders, you want, you're going to want a permit. And were my state to have been permitless carry before I got my permit, I still would have gotten a permit because I do cross borders. So that having a permit will still be a thing. Uh, somebody replied to her on Twitter, prohibited people are still prohibited from carrying Debbie. And she replies, not if this bill passes. <laughs> so if permitless carry becomes law in Florida, only those who could satisfy the criteria for obtaining that permit are actually eligible to carry without a permit. So if you can legally keep the gun, odds are you can bear it. But if you're prohibited from possessing a firearm because of a criminal conviction or an adju- you know, adjudication of mental illness, still against the law for you to carry one. And that has never stopped criminals from carrying them before. <laughs> and um, I don't think Miss Muscarell-Powell can blame this on ignorance. I, I think she wants to excuse her falsehood on being so bad at her job that she's never read the legislation her employer proposes. She's welcome to try that too. But I think she's smart enough to have at least read over the particulars of the permitless carry proposals. And if she did, then she knows full well that prohibited persons won't be able to legally carry a gun if the bills are signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis. But since all gun control uh, points are lies and damned lies, not surprising she went this way. And the saddest thing about Muscarell-Powell's tweet isn't going to sway a single member of the uh, Florida legislature to stop permitless carry from being enacted, but it may very well cause some of her readers to needlessly freak out over a non-issue. People of Florida, if you're listening to this right now, criminals still going to carry guns, no matter what you do. And uh, the gun control lobby depends on your fear as one of their primary motivating factors. They depend on your fear and your ignorance about what they're talking about. And this is a perfect example of how they rely on scare-based tactics to motivate their base. And, well, she, she didn't do this. This didn't get done for free. She didn't utter this nonsense for free because a lot of gun owners pushed back. So at least the right information is out there on her Twitter thread. <laughs> like uh, some of the C on Twitter. A reply from at Bruin Justine. That's a lie. Please tell me you actually read the bill. In the bill, by the way, under 790.06, license to carry a concealed weapon or firearm, 2-D, it is not, it, it is not ineligible to possess a firearm pursuant to 790.23 by virtue of having been convicted of a felony. So, they can't carry a gun. It's in. It's already in the law. Another reply from at Richard or Rich Nasik. Debbie, when one lies and there's no evidence to prove them wrong, it's likely out of ignorance. However, when one lies and the plain text proves them to be a liar, it's likely out of malice. I really wish I'd said that. Um, from uh, Rob Romano at, at 2A Updates. Simply, liar. He also added... 
The bill literally says it will still be illegal for prohibited persons to carry, including the hypothetical felon in Gifford's deceptive ads, which that was a Gifford's ad that I was, I was, uh, referencing. And it's pretty telling that Muscarell-Powell's go-to argument against permitless carry is blatantly untrue. But 40 years ago, when Florida got out there, when they were debating the shall issue, out of the New York Times, we got this in May of 1987. State Representative Sid Martin, Democrat of Gainesville, one of the most vocal opponents of the legislation, said... I think Florida will become an armed camp. This legislation is going to get a lot of people killed, and it won't cut back on robberies, rapes, or murders. But in reality, homicide plunged by more than 50% in Florida between 1987 and 2019, and overall violent crime rates dropped dramatically as well. And like all things that the gun grabbers say, time proved the Gainesville Democrat was wrong about the effects of shall issue concealed carry on public safety in Florida. But it's nice to see that gun owners were able to expose Muscarell-Powell's falsehood for what it was within the moments of her tweet being posted. Don't expect uh, Ms. Muscarell-Powell to retract that, though. Don't, don't expect that. that that's, that's just not going to happen. Just not going to happen. So, uh, you know. They cannot get anywhere without lying to you. And then that can't get anywhere unless certain people believe it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know how we convince the low info people of facts and everything. I mean, I, I, you know the facts, you know the stats as good as I do. I don't know. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. time let's have at it shall we this is gun owners news hour and recently i i don't I, you know i hear about all these hearings all the time anymore it seems like all the senate and the house does are hearings and they make great clips on on youtube and everything but i mean always with the hearings now for some people, the Bruin decision wasn't a landmark decision. It was something that expanded Second Amendment rights that is wreaking havoc on the nation's gun control laws. And some of those people got to be in front of a Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday to, to, to tell them all about that. And it also showed uh, sharp partisan divides over further steps to address gun violence. Now, Democrats, of course, at the hearing praised Biden's latest order on background checks and called for further restrictions, while Republicans criticized soft on crime policies they said drive, drive gun crimes. Now, since the decision, Q 
came out last June. More than a half dozen courts have tossed gun restrictions such as requirements of firearms have serial numbers and bans on possessing firearms in mass transit. An appeals court in February struck down a federal prohibition on gun possession for people subject to domestic violence restraining orders. And this was due to the Bruin decision because the Bruin decision laid out specific instructions on how courts are to interpret Second Amendment cases because they they were doing a lousy job of doing it for themselves, of thinking for themselves because they were way too partisan. And the law should not be partisan. It should be text. It should just simply be text. Eric Rubin, a law professor at Southern Methodist University, said the Bruin decision means judges can now pick and choose what historical gun laws are analogous to uh, modern restrictions, which has enabled judicial subjectivity and unpredictability about gun restrictions. No, it hasn't. No, it has not. What it has done is it, it has simply said this. See, there's nothing in the Second Amendment that talks about gun design. It refers to arms as the arms of war. That's what it was meant to be. Whatever the government has, we should have because we will have to fight the government. They, they firmly believe this when they put this down. That At some point, this new government they were setting up would go sideways and we would be fighting them. Now, Mr. Rubin, says in different cases dealing with the same laws or even with the same case dealing with the law, courts have pointed in opposite directions about what the Second Amendment means. That's because the courts haven't learned how to just rely on the text. See, the founders were not interested in certain details beyond that arms part. What they were saying, though, is that you as a, you know, you have a, a God-given right to be armed, and that if you were armed, you would never be a subject. They had just thrown off the yuck, excuse me, the yoke of being subjects of the British crown. They didn't want that anymore. When they, you know, whenever they started getting all uppity, they, uh, you know, the British crown came in and tried to take their weapons from them. That was the, and that that was the line in the sand, you know, Lexington Concord. So in Bruin. They, this was actually aimed at New York. They struck down a New York law about who can carry a concealed weapon. Now, several witnesses on the panel said rolling back gun restrictions could have real-world effects well beyond New York, which that's because there's a lot of other states that emulate New York and California and New Jersey and Illinois and Maryland and you know, Hawaii. Ruth M. Glenn, the president of public affairs for the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence shared the story of when her ex-husband shot her in the 1990s with a firearm he legally owned despite a domestic violence order. When the bullet hits you, you feel a stinging sensation, you think. This can't be happening, and then he shot me again in the arm. Then he drove, drove away and left me for dead. Glenn said the Bruin decision threatens the federal law that restricts firearms for those with domestic violence restraining orders and pointed to the February decision from a panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in U.S. versus Rahimi. No, what this actually does is it actually points out the non-efficacy of these orders. 
putting a restraining order on a human being and saying, all right, you don't get within a thousand yards of her or him, and we mean it. You're already dealing. The reason that you have them there is because of actions they have done. They, they, they've been violent. They've, 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 they've beat them. They've, they've abused them. They've hurt them. They've hospitalized them. Whatever it is, that's happened, and now you've got this restraining order against them. And so this piece of paper is going to stop them from carrying out when, when they can't control themselves already. It, a restraining order is the same thing as the gun-free zone sign. Those only work if you enforce them. Now, one of their pet peeves, of course, is the red flag law. Now, with the red flag law, just like with the restraining order, we, we have the same thing in play. Red flag law comes, comes around and takes guns away from the, uh, from the supposed person that might go crazy. Even though we already, now the red flag law is based upon danger to themselves or to others. Every state in the United States today has a law whereby a person can be involuntarily committed, involuntarily committed if they are a threat to themselves or others. <laughs> and, uh, and they're not taking the ball peen hammers and, and the, the axes and the, and the baseball bats. They're taking the person and putting them in a lockup for 72 hours and observing them and examining them and that's actually effective. Getting out there and laying a restraining order or a uh, you know gun violence restraining order, as they call it in California, red flag, uh, you're still leaving the perpetrator out on the ground. You're, you're leaving somebody that you purport to claim that you know already can't control themselves. There are other cases that are working their way through uh, courts as well. Richard Durbin said the Supreme Court focused too much on history without taking into account modern firearms. And he pointed out the 83 rounds fired by a shooter in Highland Park, Illinois, last year that would not have been possible with the muzzle-loading muskets of the 18th century. And then he went the way of thinking, well, you can have a musket. He and Geraldo Rivera, they're just like this. Now, never mind that the perpetrator of the Highland Park shooting had to get his father to co-sign on the FOID card because he couldn't get it himself, even as an adult. And then his father did it after I think this kid, if I've got this particular case right with the details, I think this kid had threatened to kill the family. <laughs> not, not you, Dad, not you, Mom, all of you, all, the entire family. And he got a FOID card. I think he'd also tried suicide, too. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look. It's so many of these guys that are walking around that they look at, that they know, that they're aware of, and then when they do something, they're like, we never, we never knew. Well, actually, you did. Senator Marsha Blackburn said Democrats focus on restrictions that affect law-abiding citizens when many gun crimes committed by people with prior convictions are those out on bail. Uh, and, and this whole thing, this was all a distraction. Joe Biden's Joe Biden's executive order that was an extra, uh, a distraction. This it was a waste of time because you have a lot of cities where they where they have bail reform. You have a lot of cities where they have uh, uh, DAs that have decriminalized whole segments of things. They're letting people out of jail 
You know, none of this matters because the cities where the crime is going up, it's going to go up. And uh, the people that live in those cities aren't really allowed right now at this point to defend themselves because they're fighting the Bruin decision. They came out with these Bruin decision response laws. So just, you know, it's all just a big distraction. But in any event, I think I'm going to go get my back cracked really, really righteously now. And uh, as for me and you, well, I'll be back next weekend. And uh, between now and then, I think you should remember to carry your gun everywhere you go. Stay awake and stay aware. This has been Gun Owners News Hour. in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 